You are listening to episode 39 of the Bastards of Kingsgrave. Welcome back, everybody, as we continue our review of George R. R. Martin's earlier works, specifically in his science fiction Georgeverse. As usual, this is Amin, and I'm joined by uh, several of our recurring vassals of Kingsgrave. Hi, this is Amber, Amber on the forums. Hi, this is Greg, uh, Claudius the Fool on the forums. This is uh, Michael, I'm Mordian on the forums. Hi, this is Lee, Lord Manderley on the forums. Perfect. You guys have been practicing. Yeah, I was waiting for direction. <laughs> I think we did M L. I wasn't sure if we were going in an order or not, so I was just yeah. going to jump in. I need to get all your birth dates so we can do it in chronological order. <laughs> oh, God. Well, I think I'm probably last on that one. I got first. All right, so we're covering two stories today. We're covering The Hero and we're covering With Morning Comes Misfall. Uh, we'll be starting with the hero, and just as kind of a kind of a precursor to diving into the story. Uh, in Dream Songs, there's a little bit of a like introduction where George is talking about what was going on in his life at his time, and uh, he explains how the hero was actually the first story that he ended up uh, selling. It was actually uh, the first one he did for money officially, and uh, apparently he. Um, who, who else read this, by the way? Just, just in case, like, well, I wasn't expected. Uh, I did. Okay, so you might be able to comment. I as didn't well. reread it. Um, yeah, I read it the first time, but not. It seems that uh, the story was actually lost a few times or something. Like it almost didn't get published. Yeah, it's funny. It, he, I remember that it kept like vanishing and then reappearing and then vanishing, vanishing. He had to call in, and then uh, during the call, he managed to say the title, and they found it. But he's like, if, if the call had gone differently, he might be a journalist today. Was that the one that they found behind the cabinet or something? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He got lucky on that one. There, I love hearing stories like that. Like, it can play such a role. Yeah. And, like, the, the other key thing of interest from this, as, and we'll discuss it during the story, is he actually, like, George was drafted to, to go to Vietnam, but he managed to get, uh, what is it? Conscientious objector. Objector status. <laughs> like, does that mean, like, you don't have to go, you can just, uh, you can, uh, do like volunteer work in the country instead? Um, what I know about it is that it, it was actually pretty hard to obtain. I'm impressed he managed it. Um, and it was basically like you are more like you, yeah, you're a pacifist. So they'll find like national service kind of jobs. A lot of people worked for forestry or the parks or whatever. Yeah, but he included the hero in his package, like in his application for that. So, I mean, and it already has kind of like, Vietnam themes are kind of war themes, but the fact that he included it in his package, I think, is pretty important. Yeah. Okay, well, anyways, we're going to talk about the hero. Well, it's going to be a spoiler-full review. Uh, does anybody want to summarize it briefly, though? <laughs> George doesn't trust officers. <laughs> George doesn't trust High officers. <laughs> yeah. High officers. Field-grade field officers, <laughs> eh, you know. Yeah, you can definitely tell he wrote this when he was young. Hmm. There's, like, very much a vibe of, like, um, it's, yeah, it's just very, like, it, it, it's a, I think it's an accurate mindset, but it's also one that's, like, it's not as nuanced as some of his others. Mm. Quick round of lemon oh, juice. Yeah. Okay. Oh, sure. Well, while, while you give your score, you can give your impression. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, I gave it 4.75. Um, I thought it was awesome. It's just so, like, right off the bat, there's action, and you get such a clear picture of who who this guy is and what he's about and um it's just really concise and you know it's a it's it's cool that this was the first story that he made money on because it's so short mm -hmm. um and sweet and just perfect so i gave it 4.75 um this was probably my least favorite of the stories that we've we've done for this so far i i give it a three lemon cakes um it really was just really hitting you over the head with it there like you said there really wasn't much subtlety to it but I, I didn't enjoy the action sequences, and and from the moment we met, you know, he was going to visit the the officer, and he was put in a tractor beam. I was like, okay, he's going to die, and uh, the officer's <laughs> going to kill him, or something's going to go down. <laughs> like it's pretty obvious what it was leading towards, and it didn't have like a, a I didn't like the ending as much because there was no surprise there. But I, I did like, you know, he got some of the back stuff with the war and what was going on in, in the universe. But uh, it's just my least favorite of, of the stories so far. But it definitely had the themes of, you know, questioning your superiors and and you, there needs to be trust between officers and and their subordinates. And there just seems to be none in this army. Sorry, I wasn't sure if we were going in the in the new yeah. order. Or the <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I yeah, think the I, new I, order I, is the old order. Well, no, me and Lee switched. Is the only difference. <laughs> we did. Um, 
Uh, I I would put it somewhere around three point seven five, maybe. Uh, sort of short and sweet. Uh, not not necessarily one of my favorites, but uh, but I definitely enjoyed it. Cool. And I'll release the Tractor Beam and Lee, so you can give his answer. <laughs> sure. Um, I I'd give it like a three point five. It's because it's short. I think that sort of like makes up for the fact that it's not particularly complex. Mm. Like it's he's a you know it's it's fun to read. Like there's no. It doesn't. It's never slow or anything. It's just like, it's also not um, particularly like deep or insightful. Yeah, I'd give it three point five out of five. Uh, pretty much for the same reason you said. I, I bump it up from three though, just because I think it's relevant, uh, not just at the time, but during any war, even right now, when it shows like a nation will take advantage of its military but never really compensated in the end, just use it for the war, and then so I think that it has an enduring relevance to any to any war time scenario. Yeah. All right, guys. I'll go down to like a four point five, but <laughs> but I do. You, I you do really surprised it, me with that four point five. Oh, if you enjoyed it a lot, that's yeah, fine. Well, I didn't. The funny thing is, I didn't enjoy it nearly as much as Mistfall. But I just thought afterward, I did think about it more than you would expect for such a short kind of yeah. little thing. Um, and I just thought it was it was such, you know, it showed his skill at just doing what he does, which, you know, it wasn't beautiful and magical like the other one, but it, you know, it was clear and concise. I guess I respect that. <laughs> Scott, the rest of you weren't on a panel, like, accepting his story or not, because then you'd be a journalist right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, mean, I, would, I would probably accept it. Like, it's, it's a... You printed it, yeah. It's short and yeah, it's a good, compelling, whatever, especially from a young author. It's just like, I don't know, like I'm, I'm thinking of second kind of loneliness right now. Um, and like the difference between like the way that sort of captures some pretty powerful emotions or the way like some stuff in the Song of Ice and like even or like a, even on the similar pacifist topic, like the way Septon Maribald's uh, monologue captures that in Feast for, Feast for Crows is just so so much stronger than this sort of short story about kind of crappy officers and mm. primarily yeah. well-meaning fighting men. Yeah. There's, I mean, any army, there's that divide between the officer class and the, and the, and the, the footman, you know, but in, in America it's, it's less so than in, you know, our aristocratic uh, Britain where it was more, you know, the aristocrats were the officers and the, the basically the peasants were the, were the footmen. Mm. But it's, I just, I, I like, it kind of reminded me of Starship Troopers. I don't know if any read that. The book, not the movie, where it basically starts off in the same way, where there's these like super soldiers jumping on this planet, killing these natives, and you don't, he's not questioning it, doesn't know why. And then as the story unfolds, you know, it's the complete opposite, where like they're proud to be in the army, they're they're the driving force for good in the universe. Where Kagan seems to be completely like just jaded and, and wants out. You know, it's it's the opposite of Starship Troopers, where they're trying to join up. <clears throat> but it did remind me just the setting and just the the writing style a little bit of Star of Heinlein in that. That makes sense. Yeah, and this oh, Aaron George, ninety-four dollars. That was his first sale. <laughs> That's <laughs> not nice. bad. It's more than I've ever been paid for writing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wasn't bad for the time. You got his check. Okay, well, I guess we'll kind of just go through it. Uh, so, he, as you said at the start, he's part of an invasion force, uh, and it, it, until it says Terran, you don't even know what's going on. If it's like who's the aliens, who's the humans, really? Until it's like, oh, this the Terran guys are. Yeah, I thought that he was killing humans on Earth for the first part of it because they yeah. seem to be like regular people with machine guns, and he's some like alien, you know, yeah. super soldier. Yeah. I mean, do we think that he's not killing humans? He kills whatever yeah. is is he's told to kill. Well, sure. I'm saying I but... assumed. I guess I don't know either. I just assumed that they were solidifying control over a uh, like an independent colony or something. But maybe that's not right. I don't know. No, I think they're probably. I think the humans are generally pretty united in George. Mm, in the George I guess maybe in already. In terms yeah. of a okay. c- comparison to Harangans. Although mm. I, I did kind of get the feel of the Harangans. Soviets for some reason. Because like, it keeps talking about like we're not having direct conflict yet. We're just trying to like take all the intermediate areas first. And then before we get to yeah, at that point. direct yeah. conflict. Which fits the theme at the Taking time. over the buffers. Yeah. Yeah. And like you also, why, like these guys are super soldiers. You wouldn't really waste them on like military police kind of jobs. The way he kept calling them, sorry, uh, natives, I just kind of pictured mm. almost <laughs> like kind of... People in Avatar? Like, those, those natives um, of Avatar. like sort of <laughs> semi-alien, but like kind of humanoid alien. Yeah, 
That sounds right. I never me. doubted that. I never doubted it. I always thought they were humans because I don't know the whole history of the world that this is set in, but I kind of mm-hmm. get the impression that humans have conquered a lot of planets, and then mm-hmm. like Earth was solidified into this one government, and now that government's going out and like taking over those planets. So I always thought they were huh. just take, killing humans. Well, that's based uh, on very little information. <laughs> no, what I, like this is one of the first in the Martin verse, and yeah. what I remember about it is that. So they're like the Harangans or whatever, um, and they're the humans, and they're both basically like big, militaristic, yeah. conquering kind of people. And I think we were basically both just like doing our solo empire thing until we bumped into each other, mm. and then it got kind of nasty. Um, and okay. then the fe- Federal Earth wins, partly because of soldiers like these dudes from Wellington, and the Harangans kind of vanish, the, the, the weird hive minds kind of vanish, but the rest of them sort of stay around. And our government collapses and then like everything else takes place later over like as things sort of come together, but all these worlds are really different and some of them are really advanced and some aren't and you meet lots of new aliens. Okay. So there are, well, we know there's the Grishka and all those guys later on. Yeah. So I guess mm-hmm. it makes sense. This is early okay. in the uh, war. It's only three decades in. I think it was yeah. like a thousand year war or something, right? So this is, yeah, it sounds right. Good, good job working the Grishka in there. <laughs> Oh, thank you. Someone had to do it. <laughs> he has to come up once an episode, at least. <laughs> but I did like how we, we at least have a little time. Like, we know it's a, a, probably a couple, hun- couple hundred years from the current day, because they mentioned, like, the fire wars of the 21st century, and, mm. and a couple generations have gone by. Like, laser pistols are, are antiques in this, this society. But it's not, like, thousands and thousands of years right. in the future. It's probably a couple centuries, I think. I you like get, my dates. Yeah, the date set now for, for, for when it is. <laughs> yeah. His uh, helmet—he takes his helmet off, I think, right at the start because it's dented or something. Yeah, because it's busted. Yeah, Yeah. because George has this thing about people should wear their helmets unless they have a reason. (laughs) (laughs) But this one's busted, so he has to take it off. His sensory equipment is messed up. I thought it was funny how, like, you know, the first couple, you know, little opening bits are about the alien sky and war, and he's just this lone guy out there, and it, it. you know, you kind of think, oh, shit, he's in trouble. And he's just like, do, 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 I'm going to kill these guys. I'm going to go back to my bed. I'm not even going to take a shower. I'm just going to take this synthostim and take a nap. Mm. Like, it was so quick. It's, yeah, it's just a job. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's been doing it for a while. How long exactly has he been doing it? 20, like 20 years. 20 yeah. years. Yeah. Huh. Like, I'm, he wants to go to the, Earth now is, is the thing. He's not, not, yeah. not only retire, but he wants to go to Earth. Yeah. Would the, do you think they would have let him retire to Wellington? I guess they probably yeah. would have. Yeah, they make that offer to him. So. And they, they talk about the uh, like the retired guys that run the barrack uh, you know, nursery kind of things. So I thought it was interesting that ser- mandatory service was just 20 years. Like It sounds like a, a lifetime, but you figure these guys, that's what they're born and bred to do. He probably enlisted at 18 at the oldest, so he's not... You know, they do have a point that he's, you know, he may not be what he was, but he's still, I'm sure, got a good 10 years in him. Yeah, I mean, I think that they, it's sort of, I don't know, I feel like they sort of want everybody at their peak psychological efficiency also. And Mm. they try to, you know, psychologically channel people towards wanting to stay in. But if you get somebody who doesn't, who wants to retire, then they're probably just as happy for them to go back to wellington and uh and run the you know training barracks or something yeah yeah it seems like most of them do renew anyways the ones that are in there they're just so used to it but he has different plans yeah oh they have the, the like that drug they're addicted to that they're using and that's like van on earth yeah well that's also that's a very like subtle part of the story that's something i like that like that's another way that the government sort of controls these guys yeah, and Grady's kind of like taken aback when he's like, oh, I'll just shake that habit. He's like, what? No, that's that's how we have you. What do you mean you're just going to shake that <laughs> habit? <laughs> so you have to be pinned down by a tractor beam if you want to see the superior officers. It's part of the protocol. Yeah, yeah like, that's kind of <laughs> terrifying. Oh, no, go ahead. The story how does, how you... would the, how would it work? <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Like this army would have, would be successful where the officers are terrified of the soldiers that they're in charge of. Like, would they? Do they even fight in the battles, or are they involved anyhow? It just didn't make sense. I don't think the officers are involved at all in the fighting. Yeah, I mean, it's basically yeah, it's not. And again, it's high officers, right? Like, it's not like the you know, like the guy, the character whose name now I can't remember, but um, he's he's an officer. He's just a field officer. It's just the uh, the higher guys who don't who don't fight and aren't uh, genetically whatever. 
Yeah, I don't know, but he's he's only a major, so that's I mean he's not even. No, no, I'm not saying it's super high or anything. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. No, that, no I know. Like, uh, uh, yeah. But Kagan is an officer, but they said like he's his 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 insignia designated him as field as a field officer. Exactly. Like he yeah. In the field. Yeah. Well, and it's funny. You wonder if they get the officers from Earth and then get the fighting yeah, people definitely. from Wellington. That's what it looks it's, like, right? It makes you less sad that the Federal Empire falls because they're also they're it's clearly like sort of imperial Roman kind of a slave mm. state sort of thing. Yeah, I got a lot of connections to Rome. Just trying to think of the uh, just the way how they had like when Rome would conquer a people, they would then work those people into their armies as auxiliary units, and they would like send them in to do the dirty work and then mop up with the centurions sometimes. And a lot of times, those generals would re- would want to retire to Rome, but they kind of would always find ways for that not to happen or for them to meet an untimely end. Mm. And that's kind of like what Gladiator is based on, even though that's not based on an actual guy. They like combined four people to make him. But I, I did. I'm always trying to make Roman connections, and there, there were some in here. Mm-hmm. I would agree. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I like Rome. <laughs> that's, that's, my, <laughs> that's my thing. What is Federal Empire, right? Or what is the term? Uh, it's yeah, it's like Federal Empire. Federated Earth. Federated Earth. That's what it is. Interesting. It always makes me think of Futurama. Um, <laughs> but I don't think they're quite as competent. So they, he tests uh, Kagan's uh, abilities by like going for his gun, and he almost managed to get him, even with the tractor beams. Yeah, he's intense. He's a tough dude. I'd like to see him take on the mountain. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I it depends think, on what the gravity would be. No, I don't think there'd be any contest. I think the mountain would rock him pretty hard. Or, I mean, he'd rock the mountain pretty hard. Yeah. <laughs> we just opened typing. up a whole other door, <laughs> door of speculation <laughs> with that. <laughs> well, it depends if they're using swords or if they're actually just fighting hand-to-hand. No, I don't right. think so. Uh-uh. Yeah, I mean, it kind of, it's almost like... Uh, it's not quite post-traumatic stress disorder, but just the way that he's so battle-conditioned and how he wouldn't fit in Earth going back is kind of like a precursor for that. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that, like, I bet they must have done a lot of psychological conditioning, and yet he's so... It makes you like him more and more the more you think about the story, is that he's so, like, fine. You know, like, he he's like, yeah, I'll quit the habit, and I want to go to Earth, and the officer's just baffled by it. Yeah, but I mean, just going for his gun makes him do this automatic reaction. Like, that means he could, like, do that on Earth with somebody who just does something harmless, and he could just, like, have an automatic reaction. True. When I kind of thought, oh, sorry, Sorry, I thought he maybe, I kind of thought maybe he overestimated um, his his ability to fit into society. Like, my picture of, okay, so what happens if he had been allowed to go to Earth? I think he would have... You know, he had his money from his military bonuses and whatever. I think he would have found a way to find the overpriced synthesis and, you know, just kind of turned into, you know, just made himself like cock of the walk. I can't I can't think of the but he would have tried to just take on a rock star persona and, and bulldozed everybody in his way. I kind of don't think that he would have just settled down and explored Earth and been happy. I think he probably would have wreaked havoc. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's sort of, a, a tw- I guess, an interesting part of the story is that, like, the officer is probably right. Like, he really, he's, <laughs> he's kind of too big for Earth. Mm-hmm. He's dangerous. They don't, still, they, like, they don't want him there, basically. Like, they want a yeah. service, but they don't want him. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I think that it's pretty, I mean, it's all but certain <clears throat> that if they let him just wander around on Earth that he'd, you know, wind up killing somebody, you know, or m- multiple people <laughs> uh, pretty quickly. <laughs> Well, it seems like the officer should have had a plan for this. Like, I don't can't imagine he's the first guy who did his twenty years and wanted out. Like, they, there should be an option between killing him in space and having him just be like a drill instructor. There should be some place where they could send him that that's kind of desirable. But maybe maybe he's the first one that really just wanted to go to Earth particularly. I mean, if it is, uh, how how long? Did, I mean, that they they'd only been going for a couple not decades. that long. Yeah. yeah, right. So he could be thirty years. You know, yeah. One of the very first people who ever whoever did want to go back yeah. to Earth. Um, Although he did seem like there was the point when he's talking to what is it Grady, where he's he's really trying to understand. Why, okay, why won't you just go back to Wellington? And he gets that you know kind of I don't remember what what it was, but kind of a crazy look in his eyes, and then he just snaps out of it. Like mm. it, it seemed like he already knew. Okay, this is what we've got to do. You're if you're not going to do what we want you to do, you're dead. 
Like, I don't think he took that to, I mean, I'm sure he did take it to his higher ups, but he kind of seemed to already know the drill. Hmm. The fact is he, he's a hero too. So they don't want him. Like, if a hero retires and goes to earth, they might inspire other people to do so as well. They don't want that precedent. Mm. Mm, I guess that's a possibility. Yeah. yeah. So instead they want the hero to be, uh, did they frame it like he's being killed by the uh, Harangans or is that just making that up? Yeah. I think, yeah, yeah that was like the press the release or whatever. Lines. Yeah. <laughs> So he gets killed by the tractor beams. Yeah, that whole ending, just the last couple of paragraphs where it, you have his you know, gruesome death scene and then it goes back to Grady like it's just another day in the office, how he kind of was bored through the whole thing. That That's probably the most powerful part of the story for me where that's where Martin's saying the most about, you know, just the, you know, militaristic types and how it's just another day at the park and they don't really think about the individual, you know, when it comes to what the wars they start. Yeah. And how also like at a certain point, like when you've done this for long enough. You just like it. You you sort of lose that capacity. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he shuddered a little, as if we'd ever let a war worlder loose on Earth. Is the key? Yeah. How can I do that? They sure did throw up a lot of pomp and circumstance, though. Like yeah, for getting, retirement, that's pretty. Yeah, pretty mm-hmm. out there. And I, I think that's you know, so one of their things, you know, uh, they like their the soldiers to you know be proud of what they are and what they do and honoring uh retired you know heroes and stuff like that is part of the part of that yeah well good i mean it, this story might have helped martin get that uh, status otherwise he might have got to vietnam yeah. <laughs> that important role this story he could be he could be in the military right now like a general instead of a writer. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> that would make me sad <laughs> i do not think he would have done well <laughs> No. No suspenders in the army. <laughs> yeah, I think I think he probably would have done his his uh, four or six years as a clerk, and then you know come back out if, if he got out. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, it's dangerous over there. Sure, sure. I mean, depending <laughs> on what kind of unit they put him in, I'm I'm not sure that he would have you know necessarily wound up as a in a combat unit, or you know he could have been smart and joined the air force. So. <laughs> <clears throat> Oh, good. That's, that was the first one we're covering. Uh, anything else, or can we move on? Uh, I'm for moving on. Yeah. I'm fine. Yeah. Okay. Yep. We're going on with, to With Morning Comes Misfall, which again, uh, Martin talks about in his little like introduction to this section. And With Morning Comes Misfall, along with Second Kind of Loneliness, are the two stories that he said he thought would make or break his career. Initially, he thought they might break because they weren't selling and he had to keep trying, but then they both sold and they both were popular. So they were one of the most important uh, works that he did early on that solidified him going toward being a writer. And I think they were both in uh, Analog, uh, Second Kind of Loneliness, December 1972, and then Miss Fall was published May 1973. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was in contention for both Nebula and Hugo Awards. He didn't win either, but then uh, he still joined like the Hugo and Nebula Losers Club or something. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a mark Still a honor. Good, good club to be in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like he wrote those two stories uh, and done a total of seven in, in the summer, I think, after he did his master's, where he was just, he'd gone to a science fiction convention and saw how everybody else was writing a lot of stories. He's like, yeah, I got to catch up. And he just like sat down and he, he was, uh, he's working part time at the time. And then half the day he'd be just typing out stories in his typewriter. Yeah. He's actually, he is a very prolific writer. Like, if you ever look at a thing, like, for all that he publishes slowly, it's because he writes, like, such long, long, long books. Um, he doesn't get as much credit as he deserves. Mm. Well, it's only with the last two books that he slowed down. He's always been yeah. fast about it. It's just like, well, he never had to balance this much going on. Like, these short stories, he could just sit, focus on them, finish them, and move on to the next one. But there's a couple here uh, that I would like to read. I haven't read, like, the ones that he was mentioning here that, in that summer. Like, uh, like which ones? Like the last Super Bowl, or nobody leaves New Pittsburgh. Like that, I haven't even. I don't know if they're available I, anywhere. Or, yeah, I don't know where you'd get those. Yeah, and he also. I mean, he spent a summer doing uh, news articles, and some of them were mm-hmm. published. I like to, I'd like to see those, like his cover. Yeah, that'd be fun. We should look that up. See if we can find them somewhere in the net. Yeah, I'm always well, disappointed that when I letter oh. he wrote. Uh, no, just saying that early letter he wrote to uh, was it. Um, Fantastic Four when he was like six years old that they published right. his letter to the uh, to the to the artist the, the comics, which is from like 1968 or something like that. Yeah, I think he was saying it's like these characters are not realistic enough. They need to be more gray or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> I like how you make the bad guys likable. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I'm always disappointed when I, I hear stories that I haven't read because I spent all last summer, you know, at the library, you know, trying to, to get everything that he's done. And there's just, you know, so many little things out there. Yeah, I finding Windhaven was hard. Now everything's been republished, which is helpful, but... So yeah, we're going on to with Morning Comes Mistfall, which, as, as he said, he knew it was going to be one of his big stories when he released it. Uh, lemon Cakes? Uh, five. <laughs> I said I didn't uh, give fives, but apparently I was wrong. I just thought it was so beautiful and evocative, and um, yeah, I loved it. Uh, I gave it a, I'll give it a 4.75. I think I gave Sand Kings a five, so this is just like one step down from that. But still, it's, it's, it's an amazing story. I love the whole, you know, dialogue about science and superstition. And just the, the world was just inherently creepy and haunting, but there was no real reason for it to be. Just, just the setting, just the way he wrote it. I just, I love the whole idea of Mistfall and, and Mist Rising, but I really loved it. It was a great story. Yeah, I love this story. It's one of my absolute favorites of his. Um, and, uh, it's just beautiful. It's got he's got such a knack for atmosphere. Uh, yeah. So I'd get I'd get sorry, sorry. I forgot the actual rating. No, it's... Four and a half, <laughs> a five. I'd do probably something like a four, four point two five. I actually uh, part of it I'm sure is because I read it uh, right after I'd read the hero, but I sort of started looking at them both as being uh, sort of similar things in that it's uh, sort of you know, from the perspective of the characters involved, sort of a, a nest, like a, it's a very melancholy and sad thing, like something was destroyed, but sort of, you know, was maybe necessary and had to be done kind of a thing. Mm. Yeah, I'll give it a 4.25. And I, I mean, I enjoy the story. I just not quite a five compared to some of the other works I've, I've seen. And I may have read it a few times. That it, it's still good on the reread, but it's not as good as the first read. I don't know, because like, you kind of know everything's there, and it's, it's it is a simple story. Uh, it's more the message than the story itself that's important. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to do uh, an, like a reading from it. Do we want to do the reading first right now? Or, sure. Uh, okay, and, and the, just the general idea that they're, they're talking about like this world that has apparently like stories of wraiths, which attracts all the tourists and has this whole like mytholo- almost a mythology there. And this team has come to now investigate and discover once and for all if the wraiths exist. Yeah, so and they. Now, right? Yeah, they say that there's this one hotel. Um, it's the only place people stay. It's on top of a mountain, and so there's the mist fall, which is hence the name. Um, but the guy who owns the hotel is this big romantic who sort of loves Wraith World. But the people who stay there are the ones who are trying to investigate it. So we're yeah, we're going to do a quick reading from the very end of the story. Uh, I'll be reading Sanders, who's the hotel owner. And I believe I'll be reading Dubowski, who is the uh, scientist who's trying to debunk the, the wraith problem. Just one question. Why? It was for truth to free this planet from ignorance and superstition. Free wraith world? Was it enslaved? Yes, enslaved by foolish myth, by fear. Now this planet will be free and open. We can find out the truth behind those ruins now, without murky legends and half-human wraiths to fog the facts. We can open this planet for colonization. People won't be afraid to come here and live and farm. We've conquered the fear. There are hundreds of colony worlds. Did you really need another so badly? Must Wraith World become yet another Earth? You haven't freed Wraith World. You've destroyed it. You've stolen its wraiths and left an empty planet. I think you're wrong. Knowledge is what man is all about. People like you have tried to hold back progress since the beginning of time, but they failed, and you failed. Man needs to know. Maybe... But is that the only thing man needs? I don't think so. I think he also needs mystery, poetry, and romance. I think he needs a few unanswered questions to make him brood and wonder. This conversation is as pointless as your philosophy. There's no room in my universe for unanswered questions. Then you live in a very drab universe, Doctor. And you, Sanders, live in the stink of your own ignorance. Find some new superstitions if you must, but don't try to foist them off on me with your tales and legends. I've got no time for wraiths. Ooh. Good stuff. <laughs> yeah. so are you guys more with uh, Sanders' point of view or with Dubowski, or where do you lie on the spectrum? Well, I was just thinking about it, and the truth is that, like, on the one hand, like, one of the reasons I love reading fantasy is that, like, I sympathize with Sanders and with the George R. Martin quote about, like, the differences between fiction and reality and how, how like, beautiful that can be. But at the same time, like, I don't know, like... I'm planning on going to grad school. I do research and like, I like knowing. And I I think that 
there is an argument to be made, um, a, you know, a pretty good one in favor of like expanding knowledge. Yeah, I kind of. Yeah, I'm kind of in the. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, I, I, I pretty much agree. Like, just personally, I prefer Sanders' vision and his, you know, kind of hopeful wistfulness about it. But it's, it's pretty compelling that you know people need to live and farm and drink mist wine. Um, but you kind of think there's they, they gotta. He did. Sanders did bring up that there are so many worlds that are you know very scantily colonized um like did he really need to you know you just wish he didn't have to to go there yeah yeah, yeah definitely I, I in the middle depending on what's you know what's what they're talking about but it's almost like there's nothing wrong with people flocking to Loch Ness you know to search for Nessie but if they drain the lake and completely 100 percent disprove that there's nothing there like that that's doing more harm than than hurting than helping anyone yeah. and yeah. the whole idea of having a press conference just to prove like the whole, that kind of makes sense. Like you can't just because you didn't find it, you really haven't proved it unless you've taken every all the mist off the planet and searched every cave. You know, he hasn't mm-hmm. really proven it, but he's proven it as much as he can, I guess. But it did come across as more hurtful, and, and I definitely sympathize with Sanders in, in this this uh, case. Yeah, the line yeah. just must have become another Earth because it's not like they've got so many planets and stuff. They don't need to colonize this planet. It's not doesn't like properly inform it or whatever. There's there's not even like good setup for it. They get wine out of it later, but he doesn't really care about like the farming or whatever. Like Dubosky's goal is just for knowledge. Now that may not be bad, but the, the other stuff is just bullshit. He just wants yeah. knowledge at all costs and prestige, more likely the one who yeah. was able to do it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't think that there's any real. Uh, necessity, even from his point of view, to to have the planet available for, you know, colonization or anything like that. But but at the same time, I think that you know, knowledge is you know, I mean, pursuing knowledge is what you know has gotten us and and them who are you know significantly further than we are, you know, where they are in the world, right? I mean, you can't turn your back on that. Yeah, and I I the one yeah no I agree with that. <laughs> Yeah, but you don't have to pursue knowledge in every single cranny and nook hole. Mm, yeah, but I mean, who decides which, you know, I mean, if, if you find a cranny that you want yeah, to pursue... The, guy, then, the person who, who funded the yeah. expedition decides. Right? Sure, they yeah. decided yeah. it was important enough to do that. Yeah. And I mean, it's not, not like I don't sympathize with Sanders. I mean, I definitely do. But at the same time, it's just sort of like, you know, like, I wish you could have your missed world, and that, and that would be cool. I wish that, yeah. you know, no one had decided it was important, but as soon as someone does decide that it matters, then... Yeah. You know, as soon as somebody decides to drain Loch Ness, that was a good analogy. <laughs> if they went and just drained the whole lake. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, except, I mean... They, they didn't quite do that draining here. Loch Ness yeah. also destroys the lake, right? They didn't destroy anything. But it's for world. knowledge. Okay. Right, but I'm saying that the lake is gone. Like whatever, you know, people can't go boating or you know. Well, I could refill it afterwards. Like, well, I, <laughs> well, yeah, they drain it. There's no nest here, then they put it back. <laughs> I guess if they drain it and then immediately put it back or something like that, then I suppose it's basically the same thing. But uh, yeah, yeah. I the one thing that's sort of a flaw with the story for me is the idea that like this press conference would be effective. Hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> just because, like, I, I don't know, like, and I, it's important for the story, and I, I agree with that, but it's just like, I don't know, unless, like, future people are really different, then I have no idea why. Like, you know, there are plenty of people who are like, we know there's nothing in Loch Ness. We have thoroughly done this, like, searched and sonared the lake, and there's nothing there, but everyone still believes in it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, there's... people are going to believe what they want to believe. Yeah, it does seem a little unlikely that the press conference would have added quite so much. Mm. Yeah, he kind of he could have thrown in something there about you know maybe all the the things that Dubrovsky had done before, like you know, kind of pumped up his reputation. So it seemed a little more plausible that he could just come in for a couple months and completely destroy the reputation of the yeah. world. Yeah, if he's sort of like a famous debunker or something, is that like what you're? Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess that if if that's true, then then maybe it's a little more reasonable. Then, then is the, is the Mythbusters of then, the 25th century. Then ne- next went, went to the Nightmare Planet to, to debunk the fact that it's a Nightmare Planet and he never and seen never it. came back. Yeah, he never and it went poorly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then he went to see the Grishka. He's like, this must be fake. If he actually got back. <laughs> Although he doesn't really seem like the field, you know, he doesn't really like the field researchers, so he likes to send other people out yeah. if possible. <laughs>
Yeah, he does seem like the guy who really, you know, misses, I always get this quote wrong, misses the forest for the trees or misses the trees for the forest. You know, he's so focused <laughs> on like the details that he didn't even realize it was if it was morning or, or night, you know, or, or dawn or dusk. And that's mm. when uh, Sanders really freaks out on him. He's like, you've been here for two months. You don't know if it's morning or night. Yeah. It's just a different, they're coming from two total ends of just personalities and, and all sorts of spectrums. They're just, they're not alike at all. Yeah, well, yeah. Sanders, for example, he only has the fresh brewed coffee. He won't take the instance or synthetics. <laughs> Kind of stuff. Yeah, you can see that's kind of just his personality is along that side of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I like the narrator a lot. Like we haven't really talked yeah. much about him, but it's it's a nice touch to have him be sort of in the middle. Yeah, like he both he sympathizes with Sander and like likes the romanticism. I guess like at the end of the story, he still loves the mist wine, which is the the planet's export. But at the same time, like I, I think he has sort of an understanding of like why. Dubowski does what he does too, like because like, and it's true they're both pretty understandable uh, motivations. Yeah, Miss Wine is the precursor for Shadow Wine. Don't forget. Mm, yeah, I, true. I had that just uh, that that note there. Mist Wine and Shadow Wine. George is so good at naming wines. The, the, the narrator is is George, by the way. I mean, because I mean, it was even written at a time where he was doing like articles and that kind of stuff. It's like a journalist point of view. So he's just drawing upon his journalist experience. Oh, I didn't even think of that. Well, and it's, yeah, it's kind of like the, uh, the, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that he, that the, the journalist, like you get so caught up in the first couple months that he's there and he's churning out all this work, but you know, at the end of the day, it's a job. And if there's a story, there's a civil war on another planet, he's going to go, you know, it kind of is a, it's a good way to pull you out of it. Yeah. Also, did anyone other than me, the first time they read this, think this was going to go in sort of a Lovecraft direction? <laughs> Because, like, all the stuff about, like, ancient ruins and mountains and, like, mysterious yeah. things, like, has a very, like, they don't ever answer the secret to those ancient ruins. And, like, that always feels very, like, I'm always half expecting it to become into the mountains of madness. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or, yeah, there was definitely a well, part they, of me who thought can. that something weird was going to happen. Or Sanders <laughs> might kill somebody. Well, he even speculates. He's like, if I met Sanders, might kill somebody to cover up, but he doesn't. Yeah. Like well, that. we they did find that body at the end, the guy who was murdered, and I thought that there was a line or something where like Sanders looked at him or something, and I thought that might have been someone that Sanders killed that he thought he got away with, but I don't know if that anyone else thought that, or that was just no. an angry mountain no. climber. Definitely possible though. Mm-hmm. I kind of think. Yeah, but he, the narrator kind of reminded me of. I just wanted to real mm-hmm. quick. <laughs> just the mm-hmm. uh, the narrator reminded me of. Um, the Great Gatsby a little bit because he's this sort of guy who's observing all these these great people, but he's not. It's not really his story, sort of like Nick Carraway, mm. a little yeah. bit. So I don't know if maybe this was his like Great Gatsby in in, in a, on an alien planet. Mm. But there's no Daisy, so maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> I do think he that George kind of went out of his way to to say that Sanders wasn't the type of guy who was going to kill anyone. Um, it might have been a smart idea if he had, you know, yeah. and he definitely was quick to lose his temper, but but I I just don't see him doing that. I also made a note that Sanders was another another sweet fat guy in a George story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, then the the uh, the narrator asks, like, are you just worried about like you're losing your business? And then Sanders gets really pissed about that. He's like, I thought you understood. Yeah, and yeah, that sort of comes back to what I was trying to say, I guess, that he, like, he understands. The narrator has, an like, under because he has both, like, a real job and also this romantic streak, he gets both sides of it in a way that, like, Sanders is, I mean, they call him a hopeless romantic. And, like, hopeless is actually, like, really accurate. He is kind of hopeless and he's somewhat doomed because of it. Mm. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't even go into the miswine business. Like he's too stubborn, or doesn't understand to, before it's too late. Like he could have saved his business if he adapted. Yeah, like he also like he knew that they were going to go out of business. That's why yeah. he was so mad about Dubrowski. But like, so like it wasn't even him like pretending things would get better. He literally just like yeah. allowed. If he bought into the miswine, he could have maybe kept the hotel going. But through this like childish spite, almost he refuses. And he has a good knowledge of the world. I mean, he shows the mm-hmm. narrator around the different places. Like, would you visit Wraith World? It seems like there's some pretty good yeah, stuff there. Yeah, abso- oh, absolutely. Oh, def- definitely. You still want to get lost down there, though. <laughs> yeah. No. It'd be freaky as well. Although I think they're they, just yeah. apes. They're just apes walking around. <laughs> yeah, and rock cats or whatever they're called. <laughs> Plain devils or something. There's yeah. Some, there's some scary stuff down there. Swamp lizards. 
Mm-hmm. Lizard lions. I don't know. You think the creepiest like creation that he mentioned were those trees that blow in the wind when there's no wind? Like, what the hell's that about? Yeah. <laughs> Did you think Sanders is an alcoholic? Because he's always putting away three drinks before the narrator even had his first. Mm. Yeah, he yeah, is. he is. Mm. And he's kind of red faced and. Yeah. yeah, I got that. Are there any much. romantics that don't drink? Don't you have to be a drinker to be a romantic? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's drowning in, or in I have tuberculosis or something. <laughs> so they found apes down there. That was part of the exaggeration. There's been some apes down there. That yeah, saw. this was written at the height of the Planet of the Apes popularity. Maybe he was working that in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, any final comments? Mm, no, this is a beautiful story. Read it. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like this one it needed. A, I don't know if they ever did any proper artwork for it, but like Second Kind of Loneliness, they could have done good artwork for Miss Miss Fall kind of thing. Yeah, yeah the mist yep. coming in over the mountains and stuff was really good. Yeah, when I read, I don't. I'm not really great at visualizing. Like, um, you know, when characters are described and things, I just kind of it goes in one ear and out the other. But this story in particular, just like the Red Mountain and the you know, when he's down there and the little pockets of mist would open up, like I could just see it all so clearly. <clears throat> yeah, it seems like these some of these works would, would be adapted well into graphic novel format. We were talking about Sand Kings, right? But like just mm. a modern graphic novel of yeah. this or Second Kind of Loneliness would be, you would have nice backdrops for it. So. Yeah, he has a very uh, visual style. A lot of his stuff is great and should be in graphic novel form. Just, uh, I mean, back to the second kind of loneliness because he discusses these two stories and pairings. He, he noted how, like, this one was more of his uh, polished piece, and second kind of loneliness was an open wound. And it was the first story that he ever thought about, like, do I really want to let people read this? Mm. He felt vulnerable about it, so. Yeah. Yeah, this one, I've, I was trying to think because the, the rates kind of, when we first saw them, you know, well, the guy's telling the story about how he met it in the mist, like, and at that point, we don't know whether or not they're real or not. But it kind of reminded me of um, Dan Simmons and for the Hyperion books. But there's this one planet that the only creature that lives there are these – they're called ice wraiths and humans. And I'm thinking that maybe Dan Simmons might have read this book and he really liked the idea of wraiths. <laughs> and he made this world where there was no doubt that they were real. There were these like huge clawed creatures that just hunted humans. And they were wow. really, really creepy. But but they uh, this whole planet is just covered in ice and it's just these giant wraiths things that hunt, hunt the, the few humans that are left. But uh, I was just thinking if there was a connection there, but I, I do love the, the Hyperion books, and there seems to be a lot of connections with the whole many worlds, and like each world has its own little thing going on. But uh, that's the only other rates in science fiction that I can think of. Hmm. Yeah, I can't think of any others. Well, the ring rates, but I don't think they're. Connected. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they quite count. Yeah. <laughs> So for the second kind of loneliness cover, he was offered like the artwork he was covered for two hundred dollars. He didn't buy it at the time because he only earned two fifty for the story. And the last time he checked, it was going for twenty thousand. Although now he should be able to afford it if he wanted to buy yeah. it. So yeah, yeah, at this point, yeah. he can buy the art. Maybe he has yeah. the artwork since the publication of Dream Song. Yeah. yeah. You also see that he has a he's been known gardener Desois or Desois for for a long time, like all the way back to science fiction conventions and. Now they're yeah. working together on anthologies. They've written a lot of books together, too. I read a book they co-published with a third wow. author. I read a book they co-published with a third author, and I don't actually remember what it was called. Um, it's very good. It's very weird. Yeah. <laughs> Hunter's Run. Is that recent, or is that a while back? Uh, it's a 2007 science fiction novel. Hmm. But hmm. So the way it worked was that uh, Gardner Desois wrote like a third of it um, in 76 and George in 77 tried to finish it and wrote like (laughs) wrote it up to like a short novel, but then kind of stalled in the early eighties. And then eventually Daniel Abraham, who's also a really good author uh, rewrote it Um, and it was published in 2007. It's very good. That's kind of like uh, Winhaven, where you can tell which parts are George and which parts are Lisa Tuttle. Yeah, you can definitely. They're both tell good, but you can tell the, oh, yeah. the different uh, styles. Very different. Yeah, and it just in this, like, I really liked reading just the intro that he has through here because he's just talking about his life at the time, and so even second kind of loneliness as we talk, he keeps talking about like I had no job, no girl, had no life at the time, and he's like feeling bad about it, so he just drew upon that to to write the story. Yeah. 
it's nice to to look at where he is now and and read yeah. this stuff and he's so honest about it and and open and you know it's like he went through all that suffering but i mean he's definitely you know he's got paris and he's got uh his cinema and yeah, it's, cinema. it's just cool that he's doing doing well i mean he just the interviews i've heard he just seems like a really sweet cool guy and it's nice mm-hmm. yeah yeah agreed could have been a world famous journalist <laughs> yeah, I bet he would have been good. Or an army general. <laughs> <laughs> he, would, he would like the <laughs> little figures. He could use the figures to order them. <laughs> yeah. I did uh, with Michael uh, Unsound Variations, which w- this all hammers mm. again, like how much that character seems like George, because that character was like a failed journalist and, and he was going to be a writer. Like, uh, Yeah, those were the two. Yeah, he had failed at both of those. And, yeah. yeah. Sort of an alternate history of. One of his friends was crazy and invented a chess with our time machine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, all right. That was, was a pleasure recording as yeah, always. Good. Yeah, thanks, guys. Yeah, good. good, good, good idea on the reading. That was it's such yeah, a cool that was a good idea. Visual yeah. story. Thank you. Yeah, I, just, I thought it boiled it down pretty well. It was fun to read. Yeah. Um, I got to wrap it up because I got to go back from my lunch break. But it was a pleasure talking to you guys as <laughs> always. Yeah. You too. Take it easy. Okay. You too. Bye. Bye. Next, we think. Um, I'd love to do a, a, I think Stone City. Um, I was thinking one. It's not part of the George verse, but it would make for an interesting conversation. The uh, the Ice Dragon, because you know people oh, are always trying to dragon. Dragon. Yeah. Yeah. turn that into we, fire, and no, it could be set call. there, but there's too many differences. But it's it's a fun story. Yeah. There's yeah, dragons I mean, and there's there's battles. <laughs> it's a pretty. Sh- I mean, it's like thirty pages, but I don't know if we could do you could do that in another one or. But it's just a. I think I would do Ice Dragon as a single episode if I. Did. Yeah, I think I would think yeah. it would be. Single. Yeah, I agree. In fact, I was I was hoping to do it on Ice Fire on the po- main podcast at some point, but I mean that's probably years away, just like in terms of getting all four of us or something. So <laughs> mm-hmm. I wouldn't be against doing it on here. Well, maybe I mean they are re-releasing it later this year in like a uh, standalone hardcover volume um, with new artwork, so maybe yeah. we do it then. I think that's so like October. That'd be nice. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like this weird, creepy bone dragon, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's no Falcor. <laughs> we'll have to take a look at the list of stories then and see what he's got yeah. around this, what what came next around that time. Mm-hmm. Are we still working on the George verse? I think so, yeah. Let's do... Yeah. There's uh, that exit, the one, the exit from like, San Breda or something. It's like the ghost story in a car. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a short one. Oh, I like, I like that one. Yeah, I was flipping through the because each story has that like cheesy illustration at the beginning of it, and that's the only one that had a car that I found. Like this must be set at least in the current day or pretty close. So I think he has I a story about like he did in history class or something where it's like the Finnish Russian War or something. Yeah. It's oh, just, I like that. That's a I good one. Too. We should read that one. There's like a fantasy version of that one too. He like wrote it twice. There's like a yeah. yeah there's one. I think there's one version that's more historical and one version that like just changes the names. Huh. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Oh. It's a thin fantasy. Well, I know from the Finns, the the Finns are like the most badass soldiers ever. They are apparently <laughs> quite tough, tough cookies. But I know mm-hmm. nothing about their the wars they fought. They fight bears and stuff, right? <laughs> I mean, primarily the What's wars that? they fought. Were, primarily the wars they fought are Sweden or Russia. Uh, you can sort of pick. There's like an old France. Catholic. There's like an mm-hmm. old prayer, or like I read in a book where it was I think it was yeah. from the uh, the series Deliver Us, O Lord, the terrible Finns. Deliver us, O Lord, the terrible Finns. Yeah, it's a Catholic prayer, so right? Murdered. Right, because yeah. they were like the, the last pagan or something. Mm-hmm. You'd bring down these big like Finn mercenaries to fight in Germany. <laughs> oh, by the way, yeah, Gardner was the one who pushed the hero on to the editor or something. Like he he helped really? the hero. So that was mm-hmm. key. Yeah, I think they've been friends for a very long time. So there's probably some character nice and fire that is like Gardner. We should look for the 
<laughs> we should. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I don't like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm with you actually. Although I mean, at least it's, 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 if it's a long-time friend and for that reason is better than I just I know it's all fake. So then when they the there's something else that points out how fake it is, like oh, you just took it down a peg for me. But I know yeah. the you, whole don't, you don't want the rates to be <laughs> taken away. It's right. funny that it's just it's not something that's ever bothered me. Yeah. He's got a scraggy beard and long orange hair. So look for that character in the, in the books. <laughs> He's Tormund. That's yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think Tormund probably has a really manly beard. He's got a really manly something else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ego. <laughs> yep. Ego. That's what I was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe Gardner does as well. Like they know each other pretty well. Maybe. <laughs> Oh yeah, it's at those writers' conventions, sci-fi yeah, they have authors their lockers are next to each other. <laughs> <laughs> How are you guys? Not bad. How's it going? Good. Pretty good. Good morning. Good morning. Or hello. <laughs> 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 wheeling my way into a better room for this. I love these office chairs. Alrighty. Hello? Hey. Hey. Do you want to do the hero first or the morning with come Miss Paul? Um, Maybe the hero is pretty yeah. quick and straightforward. Well, the hero is alphabetical, so. <laughs> we know My, how uh, important that is. Yeah. And chronological, I think. And it was, yeah, published earlier. Yeah, my one nervousness about that would be if we, well, I guess it's, never mind. I was going to say if we had a really long Mistfall discussion, we might end up wanting to save the hero. But. That doesn't make sense. No, I so. don't think it'll be super long. Yeah. <clears throat> All right, let's do it. Okay, let me just see what the number is. <clears throat> and I mean, none of you saw, we put in the uh, the thread, if we could like read that section out for uh, Mistfall of the two scientists. Sure, sounds like a good idea. Dubowski and... <clears throat> do we want to do that at, like, at the start of it or at the end of it? I mean, when, when we get oh, we can record it whenever, but I figured you'd put it before uh, Mistfall probably, right? Okay. So we'll do it at the start of the part when we do Miss Wall. Okay. Sure. Cool. Um, let's see if I have this here. Have any of you read... Uh, he has like a little intro before the hero. Did you read that? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I might refer to that briefly before we get into the hero, just as kind of set up yeah. for the hero. Okay. okay. Hero and with the other ones with morning comes Miss Wall. <clears throat> All right. We good to go? Who else is recording? I've got one going. I should be. I should have one going. Okay. Good. All right, here we go.